2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're, consider, we're continuing our series on right division, how to study the Bible, right division. And the Bible makes it very clear, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The reason that there's so much error, so much confusion, so much controversy in Christianity is because people don't rightly divide the word of truth. So we're dealing with this subject of right division, and then we'll move into the subject of context. Context deals with whose mail are you reading? What promise are you taking? Is this a promise that was made to someone else, or this is, is this a promise that was made to you? That's context. Right division is understanding where in the Bible does this truth fit? How does it work? Last week, we looked at the most important passage, the most important concept for the gospel. And that's the distinction between law and grace. Most important thing. How many of you know there's no way that you can work yourself to heaven? There's no way you can be obedient enough to go to heaven. Even if from today on you could be perfect. Even if you could be absolutely sinless from today on, that does not pay for the sin of your past. The only way that any of us can have any hope of eternal life is because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ that's freely offered to us as a gift. And if we will receive that gift of salvation, Jesus Christ will save us. And that salvation is not free. It's free to us. Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's so important to understand it was a very costly salvation, but it's free to us. And salvation is believing that Jesus Christ is God. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross that he did not deserve to pay for your sin and for my sin. That he was buried three days and three nights, and then he rose from the dead, proving that he was, is, and always will be God. That sacrifice was accepted by God the Father. God the Son is our Savior. And if you will receive that salvation, if you'll go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am a sinner. Please forgive me and save me. I believe that you're God. I believe in your resurrection. And I know I can't save myself. I know my sin is bad enough to take me to hell. There's nothing I can do about it. Please save me. If you'll do that, he will save you. How many of you have done that? Give me a good amen on that. Man, I like the hands going up too. That's what you're used to doing. Hallelujah. I love it that we're saved and that we know that we're saved and you are saved by grace and you are kept by grace. Keeping the law does not save you. Keeping the law does not keep you. Salvation is from God. It's a gift. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. We are no longer under it. Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And Jesus hung on a tree for you and for me. And he fulfilled that law. We're not under it. We are free. Isn't that wonderful? Now, that's, the, that's law versus grace. That's the gospel. And it's wonderful that we learned some of those things last week. What about this whole idea of the new man versus the old man? This has been a big controversy 
It's a big fight. Let me show you what some people have said about this. Well, I'll try to show you what some people have said about this. There we go. Confusion on this subject has led to many of the divisions in Christianity. See, here's what happens. When you don't rightly divide the truth, the word of truth, when you don't do that, that's when you have divisions. How many of you would love for there to be unity in Christianity? I was at a funeral one time. There was a a local pastor. He said, Pastor, it's good to see you. We've been missing you at the local um, ministerial association meetings. And I'm thinking, you've missed me. I've never been there. How could you miss me? I didn't say that. I, I said, well, that's very kind. And he said, um, why won't you come? And I said, well, the Bible says that if anyone uh, adds to or takes from the gospel, that they're to be accursed. If anyone brings to you another gospel, which is not another, let him be accursed. The Bible says if anyone brings a doctrine or causes offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, mark them and avoid them. And I said, you have people who don't believe in the Godhead. They don't believe in the Trinity. You have people that don't believe in salvation by grace through faith, and they teach that. You have people in the ministerial association that don't believe in the deity of Christ or the virgin birth. That's error. That's heresy. The Bible tells me to separate from that. So I can't avoid them and hold their hands and pray that God will bless their ministry at the same time. I can't do that. And he got red in the face and he said, um, well, I know that Jesus said that I would that you all be one. And I said, yes, and that's a wonderful verse, but you need to finish it. The rest of the verse says, as I and my Father are one. How many of you know that God the Father and God the Son don't disagree about the deity of Christ? How many of you know that God the Father and God the Son recognize that there is the Godhead Trinity? They're talking to each other. Maybe they understand that. Right? And so I pointed those things out to him, and he started yelling at me right at Chroma's funeral home. He started yelling at me. This is years ago. And I just said, brother, where's the love? Where's the love? Because here's what happens. When you don't hold to the word of God, you can't have unity. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.10 said, I would that you all speak the same, that there, I would that, you, that there would be no divisions among you. I'm sorry, let me start it over. I would that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. God does not want us to have divisions in Christianity. The Apostle Paul writing in 1 Corinthians does not want there to be divisions in Christianity. And I am happy to get together with everybody. That believes this book. That's that's our authority. People say, you're so divisive. No, I'm not. I'm a lover, not a fighter. You believe this? We're friends. You don't? The Bible calls you an enemy of the gospel. The Bible says, earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered to the saints. How can you contend without fighting? You can't. I don't want to fight. I would love for everybody to submit to the word of God. Until then, I am set for the defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this whole idea, confusion on this subject, has led to many of the divisions in Christianity. Here's an example. This is from wonderful, godly St. Augustine. How many of you have heard of St. Augustine? Any of you heard of him? All right, in Florida, they call him St. Augustine. 
when you shall have been baptized, keep to a good life in the commandments of God so that you may preserve your baptism to the very end. Do you think he got that from the Bible? I do not tell you that you will live here without sin, but they are venial sins, which this life is never without. Baptism was instituted for all sins. Really? Where's the Bible say that? For light sins, without which we cannot live, prayer has been instituted. But do not commit those sins on account of which you would have to be separated from the body of Christ. Perish the thought. Let me ask you something. When you're baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body. That's the body of Christ, Jesus Christ's body. How long is Jesus going to live? Once you're in Christ, you can't get out of him. When you're in Christ, you're in Christ forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have temporary life. No, what's it say? Everlasting life. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. There's no way you can be separated from the body of Christ. See, what they mix up is the difference between the body of Christ and the local church. You can be separated from the local church. Right? If Patrick keeps going the way he's going, he's out of here. No, if Patrick started behaving in an unseemly way, he violates Scripture, he does something that's immoral, it's public, everybody knows about it, some of the men of the church go to him and he refuses to repent, we bring him before the church, the church he still refuses to repent, we set him outside of the local church. He can't take the Lord's Supper, he's no longer a member of the Lord's church, of, of the church. And we're supposed to treat him not as a brother, but as a sinner, as a publican, we don't have anything to do with them. That's what the Bible says. That's, that, that's very clear in Scripture. That's called church discipline. I do not, though, have the power to take away his salvation. I can separate him from this local assembly. I cannot separate him from the body of Christ. Praise God. How many of you are very thankful that I don't have that power? And no one does. There is no man that has the power to... Re- to to uh, re- to remove your salvation or to remove you from the body of Christ. But here, we'll let, we'll let uh, good old Augustine keep going. Perish the thought. For those whom you see doing penance have committed crimes, either adultery or some other enormities. Where in the Bible is there penance? No, Jesus Christ paid our penalty. He goes on, that is why they are doing penance. If their sins were light, daily prayer would suffice to blot them out. In the church, therefore, there are three ways in which sins are forgiven. In baptisms, in prayer, and in the greater humility of penance. That's Augustine's sermon to catechumens on the creed. So this is just, this is just heresy. Why is there confusion about different levels of sin in Christianity? So, now, let me put it this way. I, I, I want to clear. Some people say all sins are equal in the sight of God. That's not true. Remember what Jesus said, theirs is the greater condemnation. Right? There are sins that are worse than other sins. But we don't go to, we don't go to hell because we sin. We go to hell because we're sinners. We don't, we're, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners in our nature. 
in our very flesh, in our very being, we are sinners. That's who we are. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we can't save ourselves. That's why God had to put on flesh and bones and come and live as a man because he was the only one that could be sinless. That's it. A body in the blood of bulls and goats. Thou could not, you weren't satisfied in that. And then he said, thou hast prepared for me a body. He came and died. He had to, that, he had to become whippable. He had to become pierceable. So that we could be saved. This whole idea of sin and the Christian causes so much fear. Causes so much fear. Man, I'll never forget. And this is, this is indelibly impressed on my memory. Going to see this precious lady. The, the a lady in our church is her mother. And this, this precious lady was about to go home to be with the Lord. And she was in agony. She was... She was stirring. Her legs would come up. And she was just wrestling because she was afraid she was going to go to hell. And this is a born-again woman. This is a godly woman. Precious saint of God. And so I sat with her and I read her the scriptures. And I I showed her that salvation is because of Christ. And not only do we gain it because of Christ, and she believed that, but that he keeps us. You know that whole thing that I say all the time, it may have become trite, but we have to be reminded, cheer up, you're a lot worse than you think you are. The problem with dying, thinking that you might have some unconfessed sin in your life, right? The idea that you may die with some unconfessed sin in your life is an absolute. You will die with some unconfessed sin in your life. You know why? You're a lot worse than you think you are. How many of you follow me right here? And so I showed her the scriptures. How the reason that salvation is so wonderful is because Jesus did it all. He saves me and he keeps me. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him. Against that day. That day is the day he returns. He will keep my salvation until he returns. And so I showed her that. And she rested. And she's in heaven. And I'll get to see her when I get to heaven. Isn't that a blessing? What had happened was whoever had taught her. Did not rightly divide the word of truth. On this subject. On the subject of sin. There's another teacher. Harry Ironside. He was pastor of Moody Church in Chicago. He described this type of disillusionment after having labored for years under the holiness teachings of the Salvation Army. So what we just looked at was the error of Roman Catholicism that teaches that there's different kinds of sins and you have to do certain things to care for those sins. You saw that that was taught, right? By Augustine. Harry Ironside came up under the Salvation Army teaching and it's Pentecostal holiness. It's Wesleyan holiness. And they teach that in this life, you can reach a standard of sinless perfection. That you can get to where, that you're not going to sin anymore. That that's the goal. It's absolute sanctification. That's the terminology they use. And so, Ironside got saved. He had been influenced by by liberalism of his day. He got saved. The people that started influencing him were these people. Praise God for all the people that have been saved through the preaching at Salvation Army. Isn't that a blessing? Anyone that gets saved that way. And that's what happened with Harry Ironside. 
He worked with them, but look at what he said. I reasoned that the Bible promised entire relief from indwelling sin. So he, he received a promise that was not made to him. I reasoned that the Bible promised entire relief from indwelling sin to all were wholly surrendered to the will of God. That I had thus surrendered seemed to me certain. Why then had I not been fully delivered from the carnal mind? Have you ever asked that question yourself? I have. It seemed to me that I had not met every condition and that God on his part had failed to perform what he had promised. That's Harry Ironside on holiness, false and true. So God uses several pictures in the Bible to describe the believer as two men. So let's start looking at this. The inner man and the outer man. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. And look at verse 16. Know what he's talked about. If you look at verse 1, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. All right? So when you've received mercy, you've received salvation. He saves us by grace through faith based on his mercy. So now look at verse 16. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. There are two men. There's the outward man and the inner man. Inner man and the outer man. Outward and inward. So what is that? how does that work? Well, the outward man is what you see. This sad picture of manhood that you're looking at, that's the outer man. That's the outer man. You can't see the inner man. I can't look at you and know whether you're saved or not. And how many of you know that that's a problem in Christianity? If somebody comes in and they're not dressed quite right, well, they must not be saved. If they have a certain haircut or the certain hair color or you know, a certain number of piercings or tattoos or, you know, they have an image that you don't see as the image of Christianity. You look at that person, you say, that person can't be saved. Do you know what you have done? You failed to rightly divide the word of truth. Well, first of all, you're a Pharisee. Secondly, you failed to rightly divide. I thank God that I'm not like this lowly publican. Hmm. You, you failed to rightly divide the word of truth. Amen? Right? So you can't see the inward man. You can see the outward man. You can't see the inward man. It's important. Now, if you look like a Satanist, they might think you're a Satanist. Okay, you know. Some common sense, too. But I suppose a Satanist could be saved. <laughs> they can be saved. Okay. Let's keep. So, according to our verse, the outward is perishing, the inward is kept by the Holy Spirit. And I know somebody with mercy. Pastor, you shouldn't mock Satanists. They might not get saved. I doubt that's what's going to keep them from Christ. The outward is perishing, the inward is kept by the Holy Spirit. The outward is perishing, the inward is kept by the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you know that your outward man is perishing? Right? You get older, you get a certain point, your muscle starts going away, and you, know, you start developing liver spots, and you just your hair starts going away. You start growing coaxial cable out of your ears. Right? The outward man is perishing. Perishing. The inward man's not. 
the difference. So let's go through the scriptures and let's find some things. Now, have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one under the chair in front of you. Be sure and get a Bible. We're going to be going all over the Bible. So go to the book of Galatians chapter 2 and look at verse 20. Two men, two different men, the inward man and the outward man. And let me say this. This is the most important message I preach to Christians right here. This is the most important one. I am crucified with Christ. This is for the believer, right? If you're not saved, you're not crucified with Christ. But if you are saved, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, what is the flesh? That's my outward man. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice, even in this verse, you didn't do it. He loved you and gave himself for you. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's the new man. That's the new man living in you. Praise God for that. But my outward man, that flesh, I still live in that flesh. All right, that's Galatians 2.20. Now go to Romans chapter 7 and verse 22. Now, if you have heard this before, don't unplug. This has to fit into our understanding of right division. All right? So Romans chapter 7 and verse 22. The Bible says, For I delight in the law of God after the what? The inward man. But I see another law in my, what is that word? Members. So would your members be your inward man or your outward man? Outward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my, look at that, my mind. What, what, the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The Bible says the natural man, we'll look at that in a little while, receiving not the things of the Spirit of God. And then it says, but we have the mind of Christ. See, spiritual warfare is not battling demons, it's battling your mind. That's what it is. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is where? Everybody, where is it? Everyone, where is it? A wretched man that I was. What's your Bible say? How many of you think maybe the Apostle Paul was saved here? Maybe? Had he lost his salvation... So maybe what Ironside had learned, not the guy in the wheelchair, this is a different guy. What he had learned was wrong at the Salvation Army. That Wesleyan teaching, it wasn't true. It wasn't true. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the what? What is it? The body of this death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. How many of you think he wants to serve the law of sin with his flesh? He does not want to serve the law of sin with his flesh. That's why he's saying, I'm wretched. And that's why he says, look at the next verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. If you're not saved, you can only walk after the flesh. 
If you are saved, now you can walk after the Spirit. But your flesh is sinful. I always like to ask this question. People get embarrassed when I ask it. But let's ask it so you can see you're not alone. How many of you have ever had a bad thought while you're reading the Bible? Hold, hold those hands up. You know why? Because you are wicked. You say, well, no, I'm saved. Yes, and wicked. Why? Because you got the inward man is renewed day by day. That flesh in me that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. And here's what happens. Some preacher will come and say, a Christian would never do that. If you're thinking this, you must not be saved. That preacher's lying to you. Probably not intentionally, but he has failed to rightly divide the word of truth. Man, my whole teenage years could have been better if I understood what my flesh was. Amen, people? Men, remember when your flesh woke up? How many men know exactly what I'm talking about? Remember when that happened? The only thing you care about is baseball. The only thing you care about is going outside. Next thing you have, girls. And is that a bad thing? No. You know, that, that's, that's, understand, that's how the, the race continues. Right? And yet, how many of you men would say you understand what it means for that to become not what God intended it to be? Right? Why does that happen? Because that's our flesh. That's our flesh. That's who we are. It's so important for us to understand this, that when you get saved, you still have your flesh. Your flesh does not die when you get saved, and that's the heartbeat behind this message. So what happens is there's a battle between this new man and this old man. Do you see verse 21? Chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, verse 21. I find then, what are those next two words? A law. A law. This is what happens. This is like the law of gravity. Right? Whether you believe it or not, it doesn't matter. It's like a guy walks up and he's going to rob you. Puts his gun in your back. Says, your money or your life? And you start laughing. And he says, what are you laughing about? Well, we've got a problem. See, I don't believe in guns. How's that going to work out? You say, well, I don't believe that my flesh is really that bad. I don't care. You still have it. I find then a law. There is a battle between the two men. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is what? what? Present with me. So there are two persons, two beings, inward man, outward man. And, and have you ever felt almost schizophrenic? Because you've really got a desire to live for Christ and to do right. And yet, you've got this pull of the world that's not from the outside, it's from the inside. That's why this understanding is so important. Two births. You're born once, you die twice. Born twice, you die once. Praise God. Praise God. Two sets of beliefs. Laura, will you go to the nursery and make sure everything's okay? Two sets of beliefs. What are these two sets of beliefs? The one set is I'm okay. The other set is I'm a sinner. And I will always be a sinner. It makes a big difference. Two births. Then, two sets of desires. Two sets of desires. 
since I, since I got saved, I have had a genuine desire to serve God. I've always known that God had a purpose for my life. I've always known that, that I was going to do something in ministry. Uh, I was talking with Chris, I think, at, at man camp. And when I was a senior in high school, they got done with, we had a, a, a school program, you know, musical, that kind of thing. They needed somebody to close it out. Uh, they, they, my nickname was Awesome. You, some of you have heard that story. They said, Awesome, you do it. I said, I don't want to do it. They said, you do it. I mean, this is like right before I had to go out and do something. So I went out, said some words, closed the, the deal. And this girl came up to me and said, are you going to be a preacher? No, not going to be a preacher. I had a desire to do something for God my whole life. He had obviously put that in me. I was fighting the call to preach, selling windows and citing and studying theology at the same time to teach a Sunday school class. That's what God did. So I had that desire to do right. At the same at the same time, I might have a desire to watch something in a movie that I shouldn't, or to look at something that I shouldn't, or to charge somebody more than I should for the job to make more money. Right. So I had the desire to do right, had the desire to serve God, but I also had an overwhelming desire to serve my flesh. It's a law. There are two sets of desires. And what happens is then when men fail to rightly divide the word of truth, they will tell you that you either have to give money, do penance, or from the fundamentalist side that you're not saved because you live that way. And that's a failure to rightly divide the word of truth. There are two sets of loyalties to masters. Paul pictures this perfectly. Look at Philippians chapter 3 and put a ribbon here in Philippians because we're going to read a passage here. We're going to go to another one, but then we're coming back here. So look at Philippians chapter 3 and put a ribbon there for me. And look at verse 10. Philippians 3 and verse 10. And, and man, I got to tell you, I hope you all are awake right now because this is what you're about to see right now. It defines this doctrine. Sometimes we can teach something and we're putting passages together and it might take you a while to see whether or not that's true. Here in this passage, you're going to learn some stuff that will help you in your Christianity for the rest of your life. Okay, so look at this. That I may, verse 10, chapter 3 and verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowships of his, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now conformable unto his death, what is that? To become more Christ-like. Only Jesus could die the perfect man. Right? And the process of God sanctifying us, that, that's where he makes us more and more like him until we die. That's what he's talking about right here. Okay? Now look at verse 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, if someone just stopped right there, you might think that you are able to earn, attain, the resurrection. No, he's talking about Christ-likeness here. And here's how I know. Let's keep reading. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. What's he saying right here? I've not arrived. I'm, I'm not perfect. Is that what he says? Very clearly, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. Now, that following after, what's fun, that's the definition of discipleship following Christ, okay? But I follow after if that I may apprehend. So when you're going to apprehend something, you're going to apprehend a criminal, 
right? You're going to chase after them and you're going to get them. So notice what he says. If that I may apprehend that for which also, what's this say? I am apprehended in Christ. So I have been apprehended. Christ, got, Christ has me. I am his. But I don't live like I'm his. I want the way I live to match what I am. Is that fun? This is what, this is the tension of the Christian life. I'm saved. I am complete in Him. I am sinless in Him. But in my flesh, I want my flesh, I want this daily existence to match what He has done. And let's see if, let's see if there's more about that in this text. Okay, so let's read the verse again. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Jesus Christ. What is he trying to apprehend? Being made conformable unto his death, attaining the resurrection of the dead. Verse 13. Brethren, I can't count not myself to have apprehended. So I've not arrived yet, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is already writing a portion of the Bible. So how many of you think he was already called? Right? What's he saying? God has called me. I want to, I want to work as if I'm running for a prize to live up to that calling. So personally, as your pastor, I, I would hate it if you came in here and said, well, pastor didn't have time to study this week. If that's for me, tell him I'm busy. I would hope that when you come in here, you know that your pastor labored to have something to give to you. Why? Because that's my job. That, that's, this is right here. Doesn't matter what else goes on. This is the job. Everything else that goes on. If the building falls down around us, this is my job. And so what do I do? <laughs> I work hard to make sure that I have something to say to you. That's what Paul's talking about. The other thing is I want to make sure that my life matches what happens up here. And listen, I am very familiar with my flesh. I've got a long way to go. I have not, not as though I have already apprehended. I'm not telling you I'm there, but here's the direction of my life. I want to. Do you see that's what Paul's saying? Isn't it good to personalize some of those things? This is my life. How many of you know you haven't arrived yet? But it's your desire of your life too understanding the new man and the old man is going to help you to do that. Now, let's see if we have any more information. Verse 15, ready? This is fun. I love this right here. Check this out. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect. Huh? Go back to verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. What happened by verse 15? So... Folks, I'm not perfect. I've not arrived. But come on, let those of us who are perfect. Does that seem like a contradiction? It does, unless you understand the new man and the old man. Look, verse 12 again. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Verse 15. 
Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus. Oh, here's this word again. Minded. And if anything, ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. It's such an important thing. I really am perfect. Not what you see. Not what I do. In Christ. Let's go on. For an even more clear, even more clear is 1 John chapter 3. So let's go there. Now, don't forget Philippians. You gotta, we're going to come back. Put your ribbon there. 1 John. Boy, this passage has caused people so much trouble. Chapter 3, verse 6. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Okay, let me ask you a question. How many of you have sinned in the last month? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you died today, are you sure you'd go to heaven? See, this whole idea of sinless perfection, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't do that. Some of that stuff comes from this passage. So let's read on. Verse 6, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Now look, there's some things in there that might be difficult to understand, but this statement, he cannot sin because he is born of God, that's not difficult to understand. But here's the way it's preached. All right? Here's what they say. Verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not continue to practice sin. You ever heard somebody say that? They say that's what it means because what this statement is, that's a little bit too hard to understand. I think we understand if you're saved, you don't sin. I think you understand that. That's not hard to understand. The problem is it doesn't fit with their theology. They don't understand the new man and the old man. They don't understand that. So they have to change the Bible. So they say, uh, in verse, verse uh, 9 again, Whosoever is born of God does not continually practice sin. So let me ask you this. So let's say it does mean continually practice. How are you doing with that? How many of you, your husband still makes you mad? How many of your wife still makes you mad? How many of your kids still drive you crazy? How many of your kids are tired of your parents telling you what to do? And you, you, you go to the youth conference and they, they, they preach on that. And you say, I know. Then you go home and you get mad at your mom and dad for telling, telling you what to do. How are you all doing? Anybody stopped committing sin yet? Has anyone stopped practicing sin yet? I've only met one person in my life that said they had never sinned. And honestly, I didn't know what to do. Where do you go from there? Start pointing them out. Here, let me tell you how you're sinning. Number one, you just lied to me. It's so important that, that we get this. Just believe what the Bible says. How many of you are saved? That new man doesn't sin. Here's what I want you to do right now. Oh, man, that's so good. I am so thankful. How many of you, honestly, 
you often have feelings of unworthiness as a Christian. Honestly, I don't think that's right. I think if you do that, you're probably not saved. (laughs) Do you see how that stuff works? Man, I'm not worthy to be a Christian. But if I was, Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. You can't understand your Bible. You can't understand the Christian life without understanding this distinction between the new man and the old man. The old man sins. The new man cannot sin. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. I say go back. We haven't been there yet. But Ephesians chapter 2. Very familiar. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that, what's it say right here? Now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now verse 3 is vital. Among whom also we all had our conversation. That's the way that we live. That's what the conversation means there. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. Look, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, man, that but God, you got to mark that. What a wonderful two words that is. Who is rich in mercy... For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places with Christ. What's it say? In Christ Jesus. If you're saved, you're in Christ. But all of us had this problem, walking according to the course of this world. Okay, so let's go on. This can become a painful struggle. So look at Romans chapter 8. And folks, this message is a little longer than normal. But we got to keep keep trucking here to get this one done. David Hughes is preaching tonight and he's going to preach short. He promised me. Romans 8. Look at verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed where? It says shall be. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, how many of you are saved? (laughs) How many times have I asked this, right? Well, that means you're a son of God. Is that right? So what does this manifestation of the son of God mean? Sons of God. What does that mean? Look at what it says. For the creature, I'm sorry, for the earnest expectation, verse 19 of the creature, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Now, that's a little hard to understand. I'm going to go past that one. Look at verse 21. Because the creature itself, that's your body, also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So we already have the liberty... Right? We're going to be delivered into that liberty, but our bodies don't have that liberty yet. Here's how I know. Look at what it says. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. So when you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in you. That's the guarantee that you're going to be saved. 
All right? That's the earnest of the inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, according to Ephesians chapter 1. So, here's what it says. But not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, or which is, the redemption of our body. My body is not redeemed. My spirit is. My soul is. My body is not. And so because of that, there's a battle. And it's a painful struggle. So go back to Philippians. Chapter 3. And look at verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change, verse 21, Philippians 3, 21, who shall change our what? Okay, I don't think I've asked this yet. How many of you are saved? You have a vile body. You're not okay. You, I have a vile body. And pretend you've never heard this before, okay? Look how much power it takes to change my body into a body that's like Jesus Christ's. Look how, look how much power it takes. When you worry about your struggle, and you should, when, when, you, when you recognize that war, why can't I be more like Christ? Why do I sin? Why do I keep struggling with this? All of us pray that. When you're praying that, keep this in mind. Look at what it says. Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Here's how much power it takes to change you into him. The power it takes to subdue everything that is. That's how much power it takes to change me into Christ. Guess who has that power? Jesus Christ. But when you say, why do I not have the power to do this? Now you know. Now you know. It's so important, this right division. Now, so not only are there two men, there are three men. The natural man, look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. What happens is the, the nat, this, this conflict that we have, when we understand the division between the inner man and the outer man, the old man, the new man, the, 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 the body and the, and the safe spirit, when you understand that distinction, now here's where the other confusion comes. The Bible uses three different terms to describe us. So it's very important that you get this because I hear these words confused by preachers all the time. So let's get them down so we can understand how to rightly study the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by, what's that word? Nature. The children of wrath, even, even as others. My nature. That's the natural man. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In verse 14. Now, this is kind of fun. I found this verse because I made the mistake that I always make, not knowing first and second. So, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. But when I looked up 2 Corinthians 2.14, it, 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 believe it or not, it's the Bible too. So, look at this. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. Now, thanks be unto God, which, what's this word? always causes us to, us to triumph in Christ. 
and maketh manifest the savor of this knowledge by us in every place. Look at this. He always makes us to triumph. Not sometimes. Any of you saved? You cannot be lost. Always causes us to triumph. Now, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Back to our previously scheduled programming. All right? I quoted this earlier. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. Three men, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So let's learn some things about this natural man. The desires of the flesh control him. So the reason that you have to hand out contraceptives in high school is because the kids are animals. They can't control themselves. How many of you know that's the position of the world? That's, that's, the, that's the natural man. The desires of the flesh control him. He's governed by his physical senses. If I can't see it, it doesn't exist. If I can't touch it, it doesn't exist. That's naturalism. Naturalism. Natural man. Do you see how those two things go together? They're not spiritually. He has no spiritual discernment. You give, what, hey, why do you go to church all the time? I had somebody say, why do you sing all the time? The, the natural man can't understand it. What about the spiritual man? Look at 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing what? Spiritual things with spiritual. Now, verse 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth, what's it say? Yet he himself is judged of no man. So what about the spiritual man? This Christian, if you look at the screen, this Christian makes all decisions based on one consideration. What does the Bible say? And, man, I can't tell you how many times preachers get mad at me, other Christians get mad at me. They'll make a statement, and I'll say, well, where is that in the Bible? What does the Bible say about it? They ask me a question. And often, I will answer the question was, well, well, what does the Bible say about that? And if they say, I don't know, then I'll take and show them where the Bible says. But often, when I say, what does the Bible say, the Christian already knows what the Bible says about that. So then they say, well, what do you think about that? Well, I think what the Bible says about that. That's what it means to be spiritual. Amen? Okay. The, the, this Christian makes all decisions based on one consideration. What does the Bible say? This Christian lives for others. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are, what's it say? What's it say? Ye which are spiritual, restore such in one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest also thou also be tempted. Wait a minute, if I'm spiritual, can I be tempted? If I'm spiritual, can I be tempted? Is that why I'm supposed to be careful when I'm trying to act spiritual? How many of you have ever had somebody acting spiritual to you and you want to punch them in the face? Right? And where's Dave Spicer at? It's <laughs> if you're a man camp, you understand. This Christian enjoys God and is at peace. How many of you know Christians that are not at peace? Why? Because they're not living spiritually. This Christian enjoys God and is at peace. I want you to see this. Look at Romans chapter 8. Can you see that this is all through the church epistles? This is all through the New Testament. And yet it's not taught because people don't rightly divide the word of truth. All right, so Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. And we're going to look at carnally minded in a minute. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Do you see the word mind again? 
Do you see that? But look, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. This Christian enjoys God and is at peace. This Christian exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5.22 on the screen for you. But the fruit of the Spirit, and notice that's singular, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. If you're saved, these things are in you. You might not access them, but they are in you. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. That's a spiritual man. So in Romans 8, let's look at this carnal man. Verse 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Who is this talking about? Verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That means as a Christian, you are, it is capable, you are capable of walking after the flesh but you are also capable of walking after the Spirit. Right? Okay, so verse 5 again. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. Saved people can live in such a way that they die. Did you all hear that? You're saying a Christian can do anything they want and still go to heaven? Yeah, but they might die. Are there consequences in this life of your actions, even as a believer? Are you saved forever? Will you pay a penalty in heaven for that? No. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity, that's at war, is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. That's what happens when God tells me to behave in a certain way, and I don't want to. My flesh rebels against it. I don't want to be nice to some people. I don't want to be kind to some people. I want to do what I want, when I want. That's the biggest, that right there is the biggest fight in Jim Alter's life. And I war with God on that. It's a battle. Why? That's the carnal man. James Knox, this is so good. Listen to what he wrote. It's up on the screen for you. Though delivered from death, raised to walk in newness of life, and given deliverance from the former lusts, the carnal man lives as though he were still dead. This is a saved person living like a lost person. He thinks on the things he thought on when he was dead. He is interested in the things he was interested in when he was dead. The Bible never replaced television. The church never replaced sports. Modesty never replaced fashion. Humility never replaced pride. Witnessing never replaces gossip. The soul is saved, but the mind still wanders about in the tombs like the maniac of Gadara. How many of you know saved people? This is some saved people. And somebody will be saved and you'll have trouble at church and you'll say, I can't believe that a Christian would behave that way. Do you know what you're doing? You're not rightly dividing. You don't understand the difference between the new man and the old man. Saved people can be just as evil as lost people. Saved people can be just as wicked, just as mean, just as selfish, just as hurtful. And that can be you too. That's why we have to love each other and that's why we must function as a spiritual body. That's why having a born-again church membership is so vital. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's finish up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Right division. New man and old man. These three men. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 1. And I, brethren, 
could not speak unto you as what? Everyone, we all there? 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1. I'm done in just a couple of minutes. Verse 1. And I, what's that next word? So that's safe, people. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as what? Unto spiritual. But as unto, even as unto babes in Christ. Now, this is so important. Babes in Christ. Young people, that's not the good-looking girls in the youth group. That's not what that's talking about. This is immature believers. All of us had our conversation in the world. All of us were walking according to the course of this world. All of us were fulfilling the lust of our mind and of our flesh. All of us walked according to the power of the prince, the, the prince of the power of the air. All of us did. When you get saved, you don't stop doing that. What happens is you're a saved sinner. You're a saved, carnal, fleshly. Carnal. Like carne, you go to, you go to Cazadores here in a few minutes, you're going to have carne asada, flesh, beef, meat. Right? That's you. You're made of meat. Well, if you're a cannibal, I suppose. So, re- really important. This is, this is important. We're carnal, but saved. The whole idea of spiritual maturity and discipleship is to turn you from the natural man to the spiritual man. The carnal man is not the lost man. The carnal man is the saved man living like the lost man. That's what's being spoken of. Verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual. I speak unto, uh, speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. So here's how the preacher feels often. And churches that don't have discipleship really struggle with this. I don't have this struggle at Grace Baptist. But I have this struggle when I preach other places. The only thing I can preach to people sometimes is let me help you to make your life better. Let me help you to know why you're struggling. Let me, you you can't handle doctrine because you're a baby. Why, why do you give a baby milk? Why don't you give them a steak? They'll choke on it. Don't be a Christian that can't handle meat. Amen? got to get stronger. you got to grow. You have to be more spiritual. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Verse 2. For hitherto you are not able to bear it, neither are ye now able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? So, what do we learn? This carnal man is angry, jealous, unforgiving, self-centered, The frequent and long-lasting divisions between himself and those in the church testify to everyone else that he is living like an unsaved man. Man, when I see church splits and division in churches, it is never among spiritual people. He refuses to see the consequences of his actions. All right, let's go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and look at verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his, what's it say? 
Is that the carnal man? For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the what? Shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. You live in the flesh, you'll die. You live in the spirit that lives forever. Look up at the screen. The carnal Christian gives his life for temporal battles. He has greater interest in the things of the flesh than in the things affecting the souls of men. Here's our conclusion. Two men, the inward man and the outward man, they are at war with each other. Three men, the natural man, that's the lost man living in his sin. The spiritual man, that's the saved man, surrendered to the spirit. And then there's the carnal man, saved and mired in the flesh and in this world. Who are you? I've asked you so many times, are you saved? I won't ask you to raise your hand on this one. Are you carnal? Do you find yourself living more in the flesh than you do in the spirit? I think my hand would have to go up on that. Will you pray for your pastor that he can live more in the spirit than in the flesh? Any of you, you recognize that same battle in you? If we want God to bless this team ministry that's coming, well, we've got to live in charity, and charity means you're investing your life in somebody else. That means you've got to give up some of the fleshly pleasures that you want to do, even if it's just staying home in an evening and watching TV. It might be giving that night up to go out and serve God somewhere. We've got to walk in the Spirit, folks. We've got to walk in the Spirit. Who are you? Let's all stand together. If you're here this morning and you're not born again, I've asked that question 15 times today. If you couldn't answer yes, let today be the day that you get saved. Let today be that day. And there are, I know that there are people in this room that are like me. And you know that carnality is your problem. You know for sure that you're saved. You know that heaven is your home. You know that God has called you for a purpose. And yet your flesh gets in the way. Folks, we have got to surrender to the Holy Spirit in this. We have to give our lives to Christ. We have to say, Lord, you're my, you are the Lord. You're the king of my life. Help me serve you. And, and, and then what do I have to do? I've got to mortify the flesh daily and many times a day. Put that flesh to death. Let's walk in the spirit and let's experience that joy and peace that God wants us to have. Amen. Let's not be carnal. Let's be spiritual. Let's sing this together.